This is a real privilege and honor to get to speak to you guys tonight and spend some time with you. Kathy and I are veterans of Reengage. both been through it when I think it was about a six-week program, was that right? Yeah. And then back through a couple of times. Uh, we needed to do some laps as a couple, and then we've got a chance to thank you for laughing, appreciate that. And then we got a chance to go back and lead a couple of groups as well. So this is a real privilege and honor for us to speak to you tonight. We have been married uh, for 25 years. We have four children. We have a son, Blake, that's 24, and Jenna, 22, Martha Cage, 21, and Bert, 19. I'm from Dallas, born and raised. We met and were set up through mutual friends through our involvement with a well-known Christian uh, athletic camp. Uh, Todd Wagner convinced Kathy to drive up from Austin and go on a date with me and a few other people back some time ago. And uh, though we dated while living in different cities, the relationship progressed, and ten and a half months later, we were married. I was specifically drawn to her authenticity and her interest in people and confidence and genuine pursuit of Christ. Though I don't uh, have a good word for it, there was another intangible is that she really understood guys. Uh, She gets our humor, our interest, our need for certain things that sometimes confuse other people, like physical contact, need for excitement, perhaps adrenaline. I had a piece that she was a great fit for a guy like me who's not real smooth and not real sensitive, long on passion, short on compassion, mission-oriented, and really driven. The first thing I remembered about Kirk was he was uh, pursuing God. He was a great athlete and a cowboy. What more could I ask for, right? So I was raised in Austin with three brothers. I did almost everything they did, rode horses, loved camp. I was not a girly girl, and I was really tired of real smooth. I'd accepted uh, Christ as my Savior at about 16 I understood that I was a sinner because of my sin. I had missed the mark of God's standard for man and therefore separated from a personal relationship and eternity with Him. I trusted that God had dealt with my sin through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. By faith, I accepted God's free offering of eternal life with Him. I knew I needed a Savior. I'd been raised in a God-honoring home, but ignorant of the message of salvation through a transfer of trust from my works to Christ's sacrificial death. Though a new Christian, I did nothing to cultivate my newfound faith and soon let the worries, concerns of my need for significance pull me back into seeking acceptance from those I wanted to impress. It would be several years later while in college before I understood Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Real change would soon follow as I was discipled and taught the scriptures with the intent of knowing and following his word. My family regularly attended church. We were involved in the youth group and Christian camping in the summers. I was blessed to say, uh, accept Christ as my Savior at an early age. I was about seven and grew up um, growing in the truth and knowledge of who God was and how he related to my life. Um, We grew up with great teaching and discipleship. I went off to school at Baylor, and then after a year in a discipleship training program, I returned to Austin and began a much-needed independent single life. My family of origin was characterized by a need for achievement and performance. 
My father was very driven, extremely hardworking, and made his job and drive for success the center of his interest. The complexities of childhood needs and insecurities seemed to be an irritant and too complex for his interest. The complexities of my childhood needs and insecurities seemed to be an irritant, as I said, and just um, not much time for that. I regularly felt that I was an irritant isolated from his interest. The primary emotion exhibited by my dad was laughter and loud, intimidating displays of anger. He rarely talked with me as if to relate. He always spoke at me. The implied message was, let me solve your problem so I can get back to my agenda. I enjoyed pleasing people and the corresponding compliments and acceptance through performance. And other than athletics and hunting, the other areas of life were mine to navigate without the leadership of my dad. Seeking significance and not wanting to displease, I hyper-focused on athletic success to ward off a deep-seated fear of failure and to cover my insecurities. My identity was my significance through performance, um, really of anything. My attention easily pulled towards an opportunity to please through through performance and physical activities where I was the most gifted. But not aware at the time when people's opinions are the tool for personal validation as measured by feedback and compliments, people become projects versus relationships. They become tools for validation and advancement of my own agenda. My home looked great on the outside, but we, we had our secrets on the inside. My dad was outgoing and gregarious, except when you crossed him. He, his model for conflict resolution was a loud, intimidating voice or sweeping it under the rug. We all learned not to cross dad. Mom was a peace faker and never really modeled healthy conflict resolution. Soon after Kirk and I married, my secret came out. My father had been sexually abusive for many years, and I had never spoken of it. I hadn't told a soul. So now that I had a new protector and provider, I became very aware of the feelings I had denied for so long. I struggled with trust, anger, resentment, bitterness, lack of genuine affection, boundaries, and avoiding confrontation. These feelings were not exclusive towards my dad. I let a lot out on Kirk, unfairly. Knowing all along that God was the only shelter from the storm, he led me, led me to a Bible study by that exact name and showed me how I could find help and healing in his word and with his people. Psalm 27, 10, and 13 say, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. God kept reminding me, Do not let the enemy win. Soon after four kids, uh, two with special needs, increasingly complex in-law relationships, really on both sides, uh, very dysfunctional in, in homes with enablement and um, uh, other, other issues too, too long to list. In a stressful family business relationship, we found ourselves overwhelmed with challenges, including being described by my physician as a hot reactor. With signs of depression, high cholesterol, and the onset of arterial disease, my job and our family business became an eventual fatality of 9-11. A very significant amount of personal wealth faded over the next six years with the inevitable end of our business and my economic worth. Kathy and I were in a position where our financial fate was in the hands of others. My days were spent working out settlements, 
Success was defined by what you don't lose versus what you win or gain. The challenge was finding God's providence in the midst of failure. Slowly over time, I began to feel entitled in response to my heroic efforts to do the right thing. Filled with narcissistic thoughts of self-righteousness, I found myself expecting Kathy and kids to treat me with special care, having compassion on what I was suffering. I was allowing myself to believe that it was just too much to ask for me to work through this fragile and complex situation and lead my family. By God's grace, I shared everything with Kathy and the kids. In response, they blessed me with a resilience and unconditional love. Though nagged by a voice whispering, you're a failure, you'll forever be remembered like the captain of the Titanic. God offset my sadness with a reminder and desire to stay focused on my role as a father. Though our financial loss was sad, it built into the kids a much better perspective on money and its relationship to work. However, I missed it with regard to leading Kathy. After I'd spent years in Shelter from the Storm, a ministry here for survivors of childhood sexual abuse, um, helping others and receiving helping healing myself, um, God brought me, um, I experienced the healing that God had brought me. I went through CR, now Rujin, to look at my own sin patterns and how I was contributing to the pain in our marriage. With the help of dear friends and God's Word. I began to see how my sin patterns, um, how I was looking to Kirk to make all the necessary changes and not owning my part in the conflict. I had a whole new appreciation for 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work, all, work through me. All I could do was work on my own weaknesses versus trying to change Kirk. That's God's job. I needed to humble myself and keep short accounts, not let things build up. I needed to believe the best in him and remember, he's not my enemy. The enemy's the enemy. And we're on the same team. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house. A foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. I wanted to be a builder of our home. After uh, my first career with the company a couple of years later, 2010, got on with a new firm in the same industry. But in 2012, um, after a board meeting in Dallas, our CEO approached me, letting me know some changes were coming, and asked me if I'd consider being the next regional president and to begin evaluating and locating my replacement. Three months later, without... My knowledge, a new president was announced who, who, upon moving to Dallas, released me at our first face-to-face meeting. I've been out of work since August of 2013. As you can imagine, the disappointment feelings of discouragement were an all-time high. However, the groundwork from several years back has yielded its fruit. Once again, I'm given the opportunity to lead from a position of performance failure. Stripped of a job, my role as an economic provider, The light of leadership was growing hotter and hotter. Kathy stepped in to capitalize on one of her spiritual gifts, encouragement. She's been a constant reminder that my leadership in the home is not based on income or job performance or any other worldly success. More importantly, she reminded me my self-worth and identity is not worldly success at all. The kids came alongside with a constant voice of how can we help. Three are in college. Their willingness to adjust taking on more financial responsibility without complaint, 
is humbling and encouraging. They've reminded me a relationship with their dad is far more valuable than a lifestyle. As for Kathy, I began to call her my personal cheerleader. Daily, I would receive reminder of my worth in the Lord, apart from worldly success or recognition. God says in Genesis 2.18, he gives you a helper suitable for him. In 1 Corinthians 11.9, for indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Kathy is not my servant or employee. She's my completer. God gave me a better understanding by giving me an experiential knowledge of that term. For the first 20 years of our marriage, I did not believe Kathy could speak into into many areas of my life. I did not include her if I thought she didn't have academic or experiential knowledge of the complexities of business or leadership or some other topic. My tendency is to put her and others into a role and expect that if everyone plays their role, then our life will operate in an efficient, peaceful, and God-honoring way. We'll play to our strengths and we'll perform. God showed me part of trust in him was trust in Kathy. Let her complete me. Quit demanding she fill a role which I define based on performance. I struggle with anger and control and thankfully she is strong and would challenge me not letting me get away with relational bullying. I'm a better leader and dad because of her strength to share truth, her courage to challenge and willingness to trust when I in circumstances don't look so trustworthy has an everlasting impact on me. Looking back, I wouldn't trade the experiences for the impact it's had on me and my family. Some things that I would want you to know that she did very well in those days. Never once did she ever express disappointment over what she wouldn't materially have or experience. She loved me well by lovingly reminding me when I acted in contrary to the leader I desired to be. She gave me insight into the hearts of our kids. When I acted in a bullying or angry fashion, she would gently yet directly tell me when I, had, when I had a mess to clean up. Often tell me, I'm doing a good job. There's not a tough man made that doesn't want to hear encouragement. And then she forgave me. Our family is blessed by my performance failures and economic loss. Through my wife and family, I'm experiencing God's grace in ways not describable. Ephesians 5.25 reminds us to love our wives as Christ also loves the church and gave himself up for her. Love sacrificially. Genesis 2, God made man, me, a helper, completer, suitable for him, meaning me, Kathy. Not only am I called to love my wife, but I'm also called to let her complete me. Letting her complete me is to trust her. To better lead her and my family means letting her complete me. My desire is to live in and with the new understanding, granting her honor is my completer. Because after all, it's not good for man to be alone. Guys, thanks for your time. It's been a real privilege. Thank you.